Today on Security Science, we're discussing the practical measurement of vulnerability risk. Thank you and welcome to Security Science. Today we're tackling a particularly challenging topic, calculating risk as it relates to cybersecurity vulnerabilities. We plan to do this in a multi-part series, diving deep today in this episode, and we'll be talking about the day-to-day realities of mitigating risk as it re- uh, relates to vulnerabilities. I'm Dan Mellinger and am in no way qualified to explain this subject. That's why our guest today is a Forbes 30 Under 30 honoree, regular Black Hat presenter, exploit prediction scoring system co-creator, database coffee roaster, and chief data scientist at Kenna Security, Michael Reutman. Thanks, Michael. Hey, hey. I, uh, I took a risk yesterday. I made something like 10 cups of coffee, but I didn't have enough beans. And I had to see whether or not I would have enough beans today. I ran out of coffee. You ran out of coffee. Yeah, I'm drinking very strong oversteep tea instead, which doesn't do well for my coffee roaster title. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. So the database coffee roaster ran out of coffee? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well. But that leads us to a good subject here. We're going to talk about risk and the risks we took. I had to do it because it was more important to me to get my 10 cups of coffee in yesterday than to maybe run out today. So real quick, you have 10 cups of coffee a day? Well, a cup measured by a coffee machine is very different than a cup, the way you think about it. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, I, I'm, I'm... We're touching all the subjects here, though. I'm, We're measuring <laughs> the coffee cups now. Practical examples yeah. as told through coffee. Realistically, that's like four mugs, which is not great, but... I still, That's still a decent amount of coffee. Back when I used to go to Starbucks, it was two ventis a day was kind of my average, which is pretty, eh, yeah, pretty that's big. That's yeah. where we are. Well, you touched on it. I think uh, we can relate some of this uh, later on in the podcast here, but uh, I'll kick things off with the the technical definition of risk as it's stated by you know a dictionary, right? So risk is the possibility or chance of loss, danger, or injury. So, Michael, how do we apply, does that even apply actually to cybersecurity and uh, managing and or remediating risk in a day-to-day environment? There's like a whole group of people on security metrics and the Society of Information Risk that have pontificated on the right definition of risk for something like 15 years. There is no correct answer for this definition, but I don't like the dictionary one. I'll tell you that off the bat. Um, Risk is not just the chance of something. That seems to be the likelihood of the event. Risk certainly also includes the magnitude of that event. So when we talk about risk management, um, there might be a 95% chance that something happens, but the impact of that happening could be zero. And so I don't think that's a lot of risk. Ah, interesting. So you're saying there's could be a high chance of something happening, but if that something occurs and it doesn't really matter, then who cares, right? Was it worth taking action on? Or similarly, there could be something that's pretty bad, maybe a loss of $10,000 to a corporation, but the probability is 2%. And you know, you do nothing about it because it trades off with the usability of the application. Gotcha. Interesting. So bad definition. I don't think it's just the possibility or chance. I think it is more of a combination of the likelihood and the magnitude. That's where most people converge. I really like the Ellery Dimson definition from London Business School. He says it's risk is more things can happen than will. So it biases you to think about what will happen in the future. We're talking about describing a probability distribution 
but then we also have to look at the events that we're describing and think about what the impact of those events is. Okay, so break that down for me. And I have a feeling I'm going to be saying that a lot on this podcast. Well, we're getting philosophical now. So <laughs> we have some uncertainty about the future, Okay, but that's not risk by itself. Risk has another component, which is consequences. So it's measuring both the uncertainty about the future and the consequences of what will happen in the future. It's not so much about the predictions of what will happen. It's more about saying the likelihood that some events transpire is X or Y, and the impact of those events transpiring is something else. But what I want to understand is how do I create a future that I'm comfortable and happy with, or for the listeners of this podcast, a more secure future. Interesting. So how, how do you go about doing that? I know you spent a lot of your career trying to make these kind of calculations, break down the characteristics and the impacts. So walk us through that a little bit. Well, well here's the key to all of this. Um, those consequences, we want to avoid the bad ones and maximize the good ones. And the bad ones in a cybersecurity context is data loss, breach, systems, uh, compromised. Yeah, you could name a whole bunch of events that are bad. But I think that definition of bad and the rough magnitude of bad is where we start to talk about not just risk, but measurement and quantification. Okay. Um, so security incidents happen every second, every day, but most of them just don't have that big or bad of a magnitude. The, the loss that happens with it could be negligent. Think about a WordPress site that has some kid's blog getting breached by a SQL injection and nothing happens after that. So the event took place. That event was probably likely because WordPress sites are notorious, uh, but the impact of that was very little. So I don't, I don't think that's a huge risk to an organization to host a blog on a WordPress site that might sometimes get hit if it's isolated and nothing else happens after that. Or the lunch menu for Podbellies or Subway. It's a site that hosts a PDF and yeah, you can compromise that site. I don't want nothing's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so that gives you one extreme. And on the other extreme, you have very rare events that are hard to spot that might be uh piece of malware making two jumps across two vulnerabilities, three machines, but the impact could be catastrophic. It could be the entire loss of your customer database or leaking emails or ransomware that locks down systems. So, yep. yep. Oh, uh, recent Honda breach, yeah. right? Oh, well, okay. the Honda breach is a great example. So, um, what's the probability of that occurring in general? What's, what's the likelihood or chance that that happens? It's probably fairly low if you've been managing your systems and patching them. But when it does occur, the impact is so big that you've got to manage towards that low chance and eliminate it. So think about this discussion where even in this, we're talking about what future states are acceptable to us. How do we get there? How do we manage towards a, a better, more secure future? A future where we're happy with uh, our WordPress site maybe going down for a couple hours versus uh, the potential uh, realities or repercussions of our entire backend system being held for ransom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's really clear the difference between uh, risk management and vulnerability management when you think about the future state of having 110 million vulnerabilities or 112 million vulnerabilities. I cannot tell you which one is a better world. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of companies wish you could. Right. But I can certainly tell you that the world where there's no chance that 
the Honda factory shuts down is a better world. Absolutely. I think you'd be hard pressed to find people that would argue with that. Yeah. So I'm, I'm almost using the language of risk to, to translate what we're talking about in security into things that any listener can understand. That's kind of interesting, right? Because this has traditionally been a problem. You talked about, you know, like the the CIRA membership, right? They they haven't landed on a definition. This seems like a very uh, difficult uh, definition to really land on. But in other industries, they have very clear definitions of risk and calculations, right? Um, uh, insurance, right? Uh, recalls for auto industry, going back to kind of Honda, things like that. They have very clear definitions of risk. They can clearly articulate those in numbers and metrics and dollar amounts and all that good stuff. Why is this such a challenge for cybersecurity, for vulnerabilities? So the answer to all of these questions is data. When you think about actuarial science, um, life insurance, we have tons of data about when people die and what the causes are. And we have outcome measures because that's when somebody dies, you have to figure out how it happened. And we've been collecting it for hundreds of years. And so if we look at the distribution over time and how it's shifting, we can make very informed probability measures about if you're 22, here are the ways that you could die before 45. There's the probability that happens based on demographics about you as a person. Mm-hmm. We are not so good at collecting that outcome data in security, nor is security an old enough practice where that data goes far enough back to build a good repository of it. Um, layer on top of that, that the underlying infrastructure, the machines, the way we do business on the internet is constantly changing too. You know, We don't have 10 years of data about the cloud because people haven't been using it for 10 years consistently at scale. Uh, we probably have 30 years of data about fax machines, but the process has changed. And so all of these together mean that the outcomes themselves, we don't have great data about. Although, of course, we'll talk about these later. Tons of initiatives that are getting better and better at that. But we also don't have great data about the subjects, which is the, the risks themselves, the events that are bad, vulnerabilities, insider breach, ransomware. Some of these are new, some of these we haven't been measuring, some of these we just haven't had the tooling to measure in the first place. I would even say that for all of the work that we do, measuring risk and measuring the probability of exploitation for vulnerabilities, let's say, there's still a ton that's invisible to us because we just simply haven't written the signatures to collect the types of events that might be happening because a downstream vendor maybe never wrote the regular expression that collects the fact that this exploit was used. So data will make us more certain about the probabilities of events happening. And it will also make us more confident in being able to estimate what happens when that event does occur. Okay. So what would you say, what's the data that we do have today that goes into this kind of calculation of risk on a day-to-day basis? Okay. Well, now you're just asking me to talk about my day job, which is kind of cheating. (laughs) <laughs> I think that was a point, right? We wanted to get into some of the realities, right? What's it like to be a data scientist at a security company? We started thinking about this probably eight, nine years ago at this point. And when you think about the data that was available about vulnerabilities back then, it was mostly vulnerability scanning of vulnerability assessment vendors, scanning a bunch of machines, 
in some cases, aggregating that data, like Qual is having it in the cloud. In some cases, it's a bunch of spreadsheets or XML floating around the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, that data set describes environments of businesses. Um, I think about the most customer environments, but of course, these are just organizations and the types of machines that they're using and what they're vulnerable to. So that is the what can happen part of risk. Now, of course, more things can happen than will. So tons of these things will never occur. And when we look at exploitation events, uh, we brought in some other data sets we'll talk about later too. Um, we find at Kenna that only about 34% of all of the vulnerabilities that are out there in the National Vulnerability Database are ever even scanned in by vendors. And when you say that, that means that they're identified by some kind of technology within a business environment. Right. At an organization, they're running this machine that has this vulnerability. And we have identified it. Yeah, not not a theoretical vulnerability. This vulnerability exists in a business and is seen on this device. Got it. All right. The instance of a vulnerability. The, the particular device could get exploited by it. And that's kind of the, the baseline of what we're working with, of the things that could happen. Now, if we look at that same set of 150,000 vulnerabilities in the National Vulnerability Database, uh, it turns out only 20% of them have published exploits. And when you think about, like, could a vulnerability occur that doesn't have an exploit? Sure, but it's probably way less likely because somebody has to write the exploit and then go do the exploitation. Or maybe we're just not aware about the exploit. But the the most baffling statistic is that only about two to five percent of vulnerabilities are ever used in successful exploitation events. So, of the hundred fifty thousand vulnerabilities in the National Vulnerability Database, two percent is about three thousand. That's how many are used in successful exploitation. Wow. And that's the things that do happen, right? So the probability side of the risk equation is all about what's likely to occur, which vulnerabilities are likely to cause events. And that's step one. So in this future world where few things will happen, not all of the ones that are possible, how do we assign and measure the probability that a particular vulnerability does actually get exploited is used in compromise? And that's the, this data set that I'm talking about. So the successful exploitation data set that we're looking at, and we use this in the exploit prediction scoring system for an open source project. We use this at Ken on our product, mm-hmm. constantly trying to collect it. And a couple other organizations have it too, like uh, UMD College Park and Symantec are doing a collection effort. Um, Luca Alati out of the University of Trento has also published a bunch of papers on it. Fortinet has some of this data. It's essentially a device has detected that it was compromised. And that could be an exploit being fired off and an IDS signature picking it up. IDS stands for? Uh, Intrusion Detection System. Cool, just wanna make sure uh, everyone else knows. So let's say we picked up that this event has occurred and we know that it caused an event, which means probably the vulnerability was open on that system or something. Or I think the more understandable way to think about it is a piece of malware got onto a box. Let's go backwards. It got on, that's the event, but how did it get there? And tons of malware reversal companies we work with reversing apps, for example, will tell you, we know for a fact that this vulnerability was used to place this piece of malware on the box. So now you know this vulnerability was actually used. And if you look at that in the aggregate, we're looking at about, let's say, nine and a half billion events at Kenna over the past seven years or so that we're collecting. Comes out to about 200, 300 million events per week that we're measuring today, coming in at like 
you know, this hour, this vulnerability, three, four events took place on this vulnerability. Our machines were compromised on it. In the aggregate, that is the outcome data set that we use to measure probability. So we're saying few things have occurred, uh, but we know when they occur and how often they occur. And we can use that data set to describe of all the things that are possible, how likely is something to occur? It seems like a narrowing down of the, uh, the possibilities for the future. Well, something tricky happens too, which is if something has occurred, you know, it's pretty likely to occur. We know that there's successful exploitation of this vulnerability. Somebody wrote up that there's an in the wild exploitation. Microsoft's freaking out about it. Great. But what about the other 98% of vulnerabilities where you don't have that data? And that's where machine learning and data science comes in, where you have to build a model. All right. So that's all very interesting. It seems like we're going a little deep here. So can you zoom back out a little bit and give us, I guess, more of a practical example from a company standpoint? Like, what does this mean from a, a risk perspective for them? Yeah, let's let's talk about the Honda ransomware incident. So on any given day, that factory and the Honda enterprise probably has millions of vulnerabilities. Each one of them has a different risk assigned to it. Each one of them has a different probability of occurring. Um, but now we know that there was a breach, there was an intrusion, there was a huge consequence. And there's something really interesting that happens with risk. It's that knowing the outcome itself tells you nothing about the risk of that decision. And here's what I mean by that. It's possible that the vulnerability that ended up leaving that ransomware on, in the Honda servers was really high risk, really high probability of occurring. And we know that the consequence is really high magnitude. But it's also entirely possible that it was something that had a really small probability of occurring, and yet the thing still occurred. Now, that, that doesn't mean that the risk was higher or smaller. In fact, if you think about a good model or a good policy, a good measurement for, let's say, rain forecasts, if your rain forecast is 50% chance of rain, but every time that the forecast is 50% chance of rain, it rains. It's not a very good forecast. Like you're probably safer that way if you're always bringing your umbrella, but you're also unnecessarily bringing the umbrella 50% of the time. And in the umbrella situation, in the umbrella example, who cares, right? You just bring in an umbrella. But in the vulnerability remediation game, um, the cost of patching a server or taking down a system to remediate it or even just tasking your employee with going to apply a ticket in Jira to do this thing costs real money and detracts from the actual business. And so a good model would be one that describes the risk of leaving it unpatched well so that you can make allocation decisions, you can make tolerance decisions. Probably if the probability is high and the magnitude is high and your risk tolerance is low, you want to remediate those vulnerabilities. But you're still going to leave some on the table. You're going to leave some that are low probability or maybe higher probability, but very low impact and low magnitude. And so those events could still occur. But the occurrence of the event isn't telling you anything about the risk model itself. And that's really important, I think, to separate the probability of the thing occurring and then the impact of the thing occurring from the actual outcome data set. Within the example you're giving, right, there's, there's real costs associated with taking action or making decisions. So basically, there's a lot of decisions, right? There's a ton of complexity. There's a lot of vulnerabilities. There's a, even more malware out there. And that results to risk-based decisions that need to be made 
day to day, hundred thousand million times, right? The risks associated with that also take resources, right? Human time, human effort, tooling, expenses, uh, downtime for applications, things that cost dollars, right? For companies, which decrease profitability, all that good stuff. And ultimately, you can't do it all. So you need to make decisions that have the future state that you're looking for with the least amount of cost associated with that. That's absolutely right. And I, th- I, th- I think you've gotten us to the key point here, which is that ultimately a risk is a measurement tool for decision support. Hmm. You can make decisions without measuring the risk of those vulnerabilities. I don't know how good those decisions are going to be. Um, you can make decisions manually too, by looking at every vulnerability and assessing it. You could... And some folks do do vulnerability assessments for every individual vulnerability and try to assign the risk of that event occurring or what the probability of that exploitation is and the threat model specific to your business. All of these things are doable, but risk management and risk measurement are ultimately tools for us to make individual decisions and make them in a consistent, repeatable way that isn't biased by individual action, has some data that's input into it, and is actually descriptive, hopefully, of what is going to end up happening. Wow. So day-to-day, your goal is essentially to be a decision support engine for customers. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot we don't know about an individual organization, and there's a lot we don't know about their context, which is why security personnel always have to be in that loop helping to make those decisions. But there's a large amount of data, which is those 9 billion events I'm talking about, that are successful exploitations, as well as all of the exploits and malware and ransomware that's associated with those vulnerabilities that a human being can factor into an individual decision about a vulnerability. It's just that most organizations today are looking at millions and millions of vulnerabilities and have to make a decision about each one every single day. And not making a decision is also the decision of letting it ride and letting it remain open. Yeah, persist which could be a risk. And the the magnitude of that is up or down based off of the confluence of probability and ramifications should something actually happen. Yep, yep, yep. Okay. And I mean, I'll tell you this, vendors will rarely know the consequences of an event occurring. Like, I kind of, we don't think that we know what's going to happen if that event occurs. We have a very good measurement of the probability of the risk side of the equation. For every vulnerability, we measure it. We have a model for every vulnerability. We even have models for measuring whether an exploit will come out, which we know is indicative of a higher probability of exploitation. So all the missing data you can build with models for the probability side of the equation. The consequence side of the equation is where the security teams and organizations come into play. Uh, The best ones have CMDBs that will have descriptions of every asset and every application and what the business impact is of a a breach there. but that's a lot of work that involves not just the security team, but also the business itself. So our CEO loves to talk about bridging the gap between IT and security. There's also a conversation to be had about bridging the gap between security and the business side, which is bringing in folks to say, what's the real consequence if this goes down? And what's the consequence of the, if we lose this data? Because that's something that a vendor could never know that. That seems to be a bigger theme, actually. Uh, Jerry and I had a discussion on zero trust um, for the last episode, actually, and he was talking about the the work that goes into it. It's a lot of documentation, policy, 
decisions, right? That come from teams uh, not within the technical side. So IT, security, um, and who ultimately gets to make decisions on things. So it seems to be a common thread um, that security is not kind of this, you know, department that sits there and makes the company secure. They're kind of guidance, right? And they need a lot of parties to agree on what is important, what's not important, and how do we, you know, mitigate things correctly based off of magnitude of something happening. No, that's absolutely right. I mean, security is a decision support tool for the business. Yeah, that's I've never heard that before, honestly. I don't know if that's a... There's an amount of money you want to spend to be more secure. No one's going to be fully secure. Uh, the decision of how much money to spend and what to spend it on is super technical. And security needs to support that in the business. And then on the flip side, the probability distribution of these events occurring is why security vendors come into play and why we can help the security teams make those decisions. Okay, so rounding things back out just real quick um, towards more of a future state. So you talked about what data we have to kind of make these risk uh, measurement decisions, right? What data don't we have or do you wish we have? And where could that lead us to kind of going forward when we're looking to measure risk in the future? Yeah, um, I think there's a world where we could have more consequence data for sure. Um, we could know the impact of vulnerability exploitation. We could have follow-ups from investigations. The Verizon DBIR does a great job of this, right? Every year they look at a subset of actual events that occurred. They look at the consequence. Um, CNT did a great study with Advisen, an insurance company, where they looked at the actual cost of incidents over time. So data like that is just now coming into view into public domain. It's been held in these ivory towers of 60,000 claims that nobody has access to except the insurance company themselves. But the more that data becomes public, the more we're able to build actuarial models and risk-based models that are actually tailored to the real world. And time, too. We've been collecting this data for, what, maybe 20, 30 years? Security has been a mainstream part of an organization. Less than that, realistically. Uh, over time, an individual organization's loss function looks very different than any other one because of what they're doing with their processes and with their data and with their security team. You know, Coca-Cola is not doing the same thing that Netflix is with their machines. And so, the, of course, the loss function looks different. Um, I remember talking to somebody at Starbucks about this who was in security risk and they had moved into technology risk and they were thinking about overall risks to the business and he was saying that the risk of a roaster going down for starbucks is so much greater than any security intrusion could ever be that they measure them against each other so they make decisions on where to invest money to mitigate risk not just based on what's the risk of this vulnerability gets breached but how do you compare the risk of this vulnerability being breached to the risk of a gear shaft failing in a roaster that supports these two cities, let's say. And those are actually equivalent things. This is what risk enables us to do. If we have a good measure of the probability and the consequence of these events occurring, we can start to think about security as a part of the business process itself and a risk onto the, the whole business instead of just something super technical that's, you know, the server went down. What does that really mean for the business? Um, the roaster example to me is, is mind-blowing because ultimately a roaster just is another machine with vulnerabilities and problems. It's just that they're not 
all that cybery, so we don't think about them that way. That is very, very interesting and in equating technology risk. But I think that's a good way to kind of taper off this episode here. I know we'll get more into this uh, going forward. Uh, I will do a do you a little favor and plug a Sputnik Coffee Company. So if you guys want to be as wired and possibly as smart as Michael Reutemann, uh, you could check out SputnikCoffeeCompany.com. Um, I'll make sure to link some of the resources that you reference here. So the Scientia and Advisin study. Uh, I think everyone knows where the DBIR is, but I'll make sure to link that anyway. Um, Michael, let me know if there's anything else uh, you'd like me to link for our viewers. If you guys want to head to uh, our podcast.kennaresearch.com. But other than that, Michael, thanks for your time. We look forward to uh, doing a couple more episodes on uh, measuring risk. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.